our scripture reading today is from 2 Samuel 17, verses 1 through 4. In our Pew Bibles, this is page 268. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic. And all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king, and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and the elders of Israel. We've been away from Second Samuel for a while. So we were in our Lenten Easter season, and that was a really great time. I personally gained a lot during that time, so thanks so much to the ministry staff and elders, deacons, all who volunteered to make that season meaningful. Um, really appreciate it. Back in 2 Samuel today, pick up in the middle of Absalom's rebellion, which started back in chapter 15. So let's go back to actually 2 Samuel 12 uh, for these reminder verses because these are very important verses as to why what is happening to David through chapter 20 is happening. So starting in verse 10 of chapter 12. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son for you did it secretly but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And this is what Absalom's coup is doing, and things so far don't look very good for David. There's this grim prophecy from Nathan in chapter 12, and then there's a more optimistic promise from the Lord in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. So let's look back at that one. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That prophecy from chapter 7 will hold true even though these trials from chapter 12 are happening. And so both of these prophecies will come to pass just like things appeared on Good Friday when Christ died on the cross. It was was this prophecy of suffering that had to come to pass. But the prophecy of the resurrected Christ on the throne also comes to pass. For the past couple of chapters, these things have been looking pretty bad. And in chapter 17, we start to look at this in terms of the tide is turning a little bit. Things are changing a little bit. And so we'll see God preserving his kingdom. And and I hope this translates for us in what we're going through in our current day. That in the, the middle of all that seems discouraging in your life and challenging and counter to the Christian faith, that God is preserving his kingdom. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, still rings true. That that prophecy, that promise still rings true. Jesus is established on the throne forever. Take a look at Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Forever. And this is ringing true in 2 Samuel chapter 17. 
God is sovereign even when he doesn't speak. Who's speaking in this first part of this chapter? Mostly. It's Ahithophel. Ahithophel, who was once senior counsel, senior advisor to King David, who has now been a traitor, and he goes off to work for his son and is now the advisor to Absalom. And his counsel was regarded as almost like God, like the wisdom of God. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23. Now in those days the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God, so was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. And then right after this verse is what Ahithophel advises Absalom to do. Starting in verse 1. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Let me choose 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic, and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king, and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. So Ahithophel wants to strike David down really quickly. Tonight, let's do this tonight. When he knows, you know, David is weary, he is discouraged, and we're going to cause this panic amongst all the people who are also weary, hungry, thirsty, and they're all going to scatter, and we're just going to look for David, and we're going to just kill him. We're not going to kill everyone, only David. There are going to be all these survivors that will then look to you and look to you as the rightful king because their king is now dead, and since you are the heir to the throne, they will just gladly follow you, especially since we spared their lives. There, no more conflict. We're, we're going to be at peace. No one's going to be able to rightfully challenge Absalom anymore. This plan is quick. This plan is final, decisive. We have limited casualties. This is a good plan. Everyone says, yeah, that is a good plan. That's great. Then verse 5 happens. Then Absalom said, call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. Here's a question. Why in the world would Absalom ask for Hushai when Ahithophel's wisdom's like seeking the counsel of God? Why, why would anyone do that? He's a very wise strategist who used to advise King David and he comes up with this good plan that everyone agrees with. All these elders, everyone agrees with his own senior advisors and council. They agree with this plan. Why would they ask Hushai? I don't know. I can just say it's a God thing. Because it makes no sense. It makes no sense to ask. And so they ask, and as you know, Hushai is a spy for David. He's an insider in the court, and he's spying for David, and Absalom's camp has no clue that Hushai is doing this, and they tell Hushai everything. They disclose Ahithophel's plans to him, and so now Hushai knows everything about Ahithophel's mission, and then so he's thinking of a way, how am I going to counter this? How am I going to tell them something different and then inform David of what's going to happen next? Verse 7, then Hushai said to Absalom, this time the counsel that Ahithophel has given is, is not good. You can imagine the crowd going, oh, what? 
Hushai said, you know that your father and his men are mighty men and that they, they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. And so you notice how Hushai starts embellishing this story a little bit. Ahithophel just says like factual things. Do it tonight, do this, da 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 And this guy's like, he's like a bear. And he's like starting to embellish this. Besides, your father is expert in war. He will not spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, there has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant men whose heart is like the heart of a lion will utterly melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man and that those who are with him are valiant men. So Hushai's plan is, is given a lot more details than Ahithophel's. And he does this because he needs to appeal to their emotions in order to top Ahithophel's plans. Because Ahithophel's just kind of like your direct guy, black and white guy, here's the strategy, here it is. But Hushai's a little different. He's like, you know what, I, I need to appeal to Absalom's knowledge. I need to appeal to his pride. And so he starts by complimenting Absalom's intimate relationship and knowledge of David, his father. You know that your father, your father is an expert in war. So if anyone knows about David, the king, it's you, his son. No one knows better than you. You know. You know he won't spend the night with his soldiers and Ahithophel said that he'll only kill your dad? I mean, how is that even possible? You know what? He won't even be able to find your dad. Your dad's not even with those guys. You know that. He's in some pit somewhere. He's hiding somewhere. You know that. And then Hushai talks about what all of Israel knows. Not just you, but all of Israel knows this. And so he starts planting these seeds in Absalom's head that Ahithophel maybe in his older age has forgotten about these things. Because all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man and that those who are with him are valiant men. And so in other words, Ahithophel and these 12,000 soldiers that he's asking for, they're not going to be able to do the job. They're not going to be able to find your dad. You're going to lose. And you know it. And all of Israel knows it. And so Hushai presents another plan, one that takes a lot more time, way more time. But then it appeals to Absalom because it appears that it's certain. You know, there's, it's a bigger army. And it also feeds Absalom's pride. Look at verse 11. But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you. From Dan to Beersheba, as the sand of the sea for the multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in, in some place where he is to be found, and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground, and of him and all the men with him not one will be left. If he withdraws into the city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city, and we shall drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. He's appealing to his pride, right? He's saying, you know, why are you giving all the credit to Ahithophel and those 12,000 men? You do it. You do it. You know, you, you gather your entire kingdom. 
You go to the northern tip of your kingdom in Dan. You go to the southern tip of your kingdom in Beersheba. And you gather your entire army. We gather everyone. And you take the credit. Not Ahithophel. Not those 12,000 men. You and your army. And another thing. We're not only going to take out David the king. We're going to take out everyone who follows them. Because anyone who's loyal to David is not loyal to you. And we're just going to keep those who are loyal to you around. So we're just going to wipe them all out. You are the king. And we want to secure your kingdom with the people who are loyal to you. It's totally appealing to his pride. And you can just kind of sense Absalom like, yeah, yeah, I'm the king. I'm the king. These are my people. That's my army. Yeah, that's me. Verse 14, and Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. What has Hushai done? He's bought David some very, very valuable time to escape and to re-strategize. And it takes a lot of time to assemble all the troops of the kingdom from the north in Dan to the southern tip in Beersheba. And it's not just like a text, right? Like, Let's gather and attack. Like it, it takes a long time. And so how did, how did they follow the counsel of Hushai over the counsel of Ahithophel? I mean, this makes no sense. Because Ahithophel was a senior advisor to David. He knew how to defeat David. He knew his weaknesses. And his plan, it would have worked. His plan would have worked. So why did they follow Hushai? Because he appeals to our weakness, our pride. Right? Just like Genesis 3, that when the serpent appeals to Eve, like, you'll be like God. I, well, yeah, I can, I can determine what's good and evil. I can do that. And this is the same thing. He's appealing to the pride and saying, like, you know, you know. And you lead your army. It's, it's your army. Even though Ahithophel's plan was solid, it would have worked. But it didn't do anything for Absalom's pride because it was just kind of like, oh, it's, it's Ahithophel's plan. It's Ahithophel who's going to do this. And it's Ahithophel's 12,000 person army. I'm not in that. Ultimately, it's Lord ordained. God planned this. Verse 14, look at that last sentence there. This is something interesting. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Good counsel. That word good is not in terms of what is morally good. It is talking about good in terms of it would have worked. That was a good idea. Not in terms of like morally to go kill somebody, but in that, that is what's going to work. It's very pragmatic. It's going to work. But the thing is, is God is in control even when things are against you. And those plans will work if they were executed, but God is in control. God is sovereign. Look at that last part in verse 14. So that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Any one of you ever thought, like, how can the Lord bring harm upon somebody? Because you look at God and, like, he's just a good guy. Because when you read at that, that's, 
scary, isn't it? To think the Lord can bring harm? And yes, he can bring harm to those who aren't in his will. For those who don't follow God. Because ultimately, sin will not be victorious no matter how badly people want that to rule them. That God's ordained plan comes to pass and there's nothing that can be done to change that. And if you try, the Lord might bring harm. Because you're not going to stop what he's doing. And it's not out of spite. It's not out of maliciousness. It's not out of him being mean. But it's simply because of our own rebellion against God. That being outside of God's ordained will causes this. And for those who desire to follow God, who desire to be in his will, this is actually a very comforting statement, isn't it? Because you know that sin will not prevail. That his goodness will ultimately triumph over sin. That people are free to make choices as they want to make, but the choices that we make do not redefine what is sinful and what is not sinful. That God's will will be accomplished. That God will make it so even though things don't seem like they're going in a good direction, like in David's situation, until Hushai steps into it. You see, God is sovereign even in times when you don't seem to notice it or recognize it, that he's still in control whether you like it or you don't like it. He's working. He's working his ordained plan even when it's not obvious to us that it's working. But it doesn't mean that things that are God-ordained just kind of go smoothly because they don't. You see that David is supposed to be on the throne but things aren't smooth for him. Look at verse 15. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, Thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so have I counseled. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, Do not stay tonight at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means pass over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. See, just because we have God-ordained plan laid out before us doesn't mean we don't have to work doesn't mean that we don't have to put forth effort. There's effort in executing a plan. And there's stuff for us to do. So Hushai gets this news to Zadok and Abiathar, who, who are also on David's side, to inform them of Ahithophel's plan, as well as what he said for Absalom to do. But they are to quickly tell David to move out of where he is because Hushai doesn't know with 100% certainty if Absalom is going to change his mind or which plan Absalom's going to choose, so hey, better safe than sorry, take off, leave, get out of here. Because if he goes with his plan, you guys are dead. You're sunk. Verse 17, now Jonathan and Ahimaaz were waiting at Enrongel, which is just right outside of Jerusalem. A female servant was to go and tell them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they were not to be seen entering the city. But a young man saw them and told Absalom, so both of them went away quickly and came to the house of a man at Bahurim, who had a well in his courtyard, and they went down into it, and the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it, and nothing was known of it. 
When Absalom's servants came to the women at the house, they said, Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? And the women said to them, They have gone over the brook of water. And when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. After they had gone, the men came out of the well and went out and told King David, then said to David, Arise and go quickly over the water for thus, and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. Then David arose and all the people who were with him, and they crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. David is ordained king, right? But you see how much work and how much effort is made here. That they have to get this word to David even though he's in God's ordained plan. But there's all this stuff that has to happen and none of this is smooth. Even when God's behind your plans. Even when you're doing God's will. They're not always that easy. And Hushai is involved. And then Zadok and Abiathar. And then Jonathan and Ahimehaz. And then a female servant. And then getting spotted by a young man. And hiding in a well at this guy's house. And then Absalom's servant searching for you. And, and you're running for your life to tell David what's going on. And David taking the entire camp. Uprooting this entire camp to cross the Jordan. Just because you're in God's will and you're doing God's plans doesn't mean it's easy. Oftentimes it means it's very challenging. You have very challenging times ahead. He's behind you, but you've got to work. You know this to be true. I'm not breaking any new news to you that you don't already know. Because your, your lives haven't been easy. I don't even know everyone's intimate stories or anything like that. But I can say, if you followed Christ and you're going along doing His will, that you've had challenges in your life even though it is in God's will to live as you are and follow God as you have been. That we live this life, that this is a reality and that we can even read this throughout the Bible. Why does God do this? Why can't it just be easy? Why, why do things have to be hard? Why do they have to be challenging? You, you love him. You follow him. You're doing all these things. But, but then it's still like this. So one of the things that my kids complain about all the time. All the time. Boredom. Have any of you who have children ever heard your child say that? I'm bored. It's only a matter of time if you haven't heard it. This is something that's on their mind all the time. Boredom. They don't want to be bored. If there is one thing about God, just one, if you take away any one thing about God, never boring. Never, ever, ever boring. If everything was just kind of given to you and everything was easy and everything, you'd be bored. That's why your kids are bored. Why? Because you feed them. You clothe them. You house them. They do all the activities they want. They're educated. They have no hardship. Of course they're bored. Give them some hardship. They're not going to be bored. If they have to go till that field in a farm or something like that, they're not going to be bored. Why? You, I got more work for you to do, son. You bored? Nope. Nope. I'm not bored. I'm, nope, I'm good. They're bored because they have nothing to do. There's no struggle. There's no nothing. But that's not God. And if you're bored as a Christian, 
It's not God who has the boredom issue. It's you. You're being lazy because there's so much work to do. You're just being a sloth. God is anything but boring. God is creative. He loves redemption. And you're part of the story. There's so much for you to do for redemption. He loves making things possible that are impossible. He loves how we see unlovable people and make them lovable. How we see unforgivable people and we forgive them. How we see sick people and even dead people and we heal them. He loves bringing people that are in darkness into light. That's God. Never boring. Unfortunately, not everyone will be saved. Because not everyone wants to follow God. And people tend to want to be lazy. They want to be bored. Verse 23, when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and went off home to his own city. He set his house in order and hanged himself, and he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. Why in the world would this wise person, who when you ask him for advice, it's like opening the word of God, do that to himself? He's wise. He would have thought this through. Why would he do this? And we can come up with a bunch of reasons, but it seems to me that the reason he does this is because once Absalom decided to follow Hushai's advice, he knew, we're done. We're done. And it's only a matter of time before Absalom and this entire coup that we're trying to do is defeated and I'm dead. And he knew David as his former senior advisor. He knew that if David was given enough time, that if he was able to recover from being weary and discouraged, that he would strategize a comeback. And because Absalom didn't capitalize on the moment of David's weakness, David had time to regroup. And now they're done. Even though Absalom has the larger army, but he doesn't have the same skill as his father. He doesn't have the same experience. He doesn't have the same grit. And somehow, David always wins. You don't think that Ahithophel knew the prophecies of Nathan, being his senior advisor? He knew, like, this was our chance, and now this is it. He's on the throne. There's nothing to be done. So he knew that he had this limited window of opportunity to defeat David. And it was at this point after the window had closed that Absalom would lose and David would figure it out. When David got back on the throne, Ahithophel would be publicly executed for treason. And rather than have that happen, he wanted to get his house in order take care of all his affairs, take care of his family and his assets, and when he had the opportunity to do all of that before the inevitable would happen to him when he would have no control over how things would be handled over his house. And Ahithophel knew what was coming, and he did what he could for himself and his loved ones. 
Now, Ahithophel's death is a prophetic one in that it is representative of God's enemies. Because people who assault God, who try to overtake his kingdom, it's a prophetic indication that God's enemies, ultimately you'll face death. There's no other place for you to go. And so it's a preview of what happens to the enemies of Christ and to his kingdom, that there is no possible chance of success to come against Christ. It is certain death. There is no other outcome. And so this is a discouragement to God's enemies, but this is an encouragement for God's people. That there will be justice for God's enemies and there will be peace for the friends of God. Not now, as we can all attest to that. But ultimately, this is how it will be. And yet we still have a lot of work to do. There's some messages to deliver. There's some work to be done. There's some enemies to be aware of. There's a lot of effort to exert. There is no Ahithophel or enemy of God that's going to change that. But we have to be aware of that. Verse 24, then David came to Mehanaim and Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. Now Absalom had set Amasa over the army instead of Joab. Amasa was the son of a man named Ithra, the Ishmaelite, who had married Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zeruiah, Joab's mother. And Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. When David came to Mehanaim, Shobi, the son of Nahash, from Rabbah of the Ammonites and Maker, the son of Amiel from Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite from Rogelim, brought beds, basins, and earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, and lentils, honey, and curds, and sheep, and cheese from the herd for David and the people with him to eat, for they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. So verses 24 through 29 is kind of like the build-up before this big battle, and here are the, the names of the forces assembling for war. And so that's mainly what 24 through 29 is. What I want to bring your attention to is verse 29, this last phrase, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Why? Because Ahithophel was right. They had him. They just followed through with his plan. Right? Look back at verse 2. I will come upon him while he is weary. He was 100% right. He knew. And then that's when Hushai then told Absalom Ahithophel's counsel was not good. And then verse 8 happened. Right? The bear cub thing. But Ahithophel was right. He was correct in his wise counsel to defeat David. But it didn't work. Why? Not loyal to David. You see, people can be very wise at times. But when you're disloyal to God, your wisdom doesn't matter. See, we all know people who have defected from God to another side. And the world has plenty of Ahithophels who were once loyal to God, very smart, very wise, very skilled and expert in whatever that they do, but then they defect. They become disloyal. Something 
happen to them to cause this defection, whether that's a, just a change in morality or something within their family or among friends, something that just disappointed them or confused them or angered them or upset them that just caused an individual to defect. But there is a hope as long as you don't fall victim to the belief that you can't be forgiven like Ahithophel. Ahithophel believed that he reached this point where there's no way David is going to forgive me. That he saw no other alternative. That's not necessarily true. Look, David kept Jonathan's son alive when he should have wiped him out because the previous regime, you should have wiped out the entire lineage of the previous regime. But he keeps Saul's grandson alive. He doesn't know that for sure. And for us, this is how God is. is God is a God of forgiveness that no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, that he can still use you for his kingdom work. That things that are tempting you to defect to the other side, those things that are pulling you over there, those voices that are speaking to your pride, you know better. You're educated. You know better. And the whole world knows. Look at what the whole world believes. You know, just like Ahithophel did to Absalom. You know, and he appeals to our pride. And like, yeah, I do know. I can decipher between what's good and evil. I can do that. And it's actually these voices that are speaking louder than the voice of God who rarely shouts. God very often whispers. And oftentimes, he's just silent. But if we listen to the voices that puff us up, we're going to get fooled just like Absalom did. We need to stay loyal to the Lord. Trust the Lord who's in control. Choose this day whom you will serve. And you don't let the circumstances that you're experiencing in your life, those challenging things, you don't let those voices that speak to your own pride change you. That you stay loyal to Christ in the middle of all of these challenges. That is the precise time when your true loyalty shines. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for the preservation of our minds and our heart to stay loyal to you. I ask God that you would protect especially these younger generations that have so many different feeds into their life with social media and what's happening in their schools and friends and, and medias that are on the screen and on the news, whatever, that they're just continually bombarding them with all these voices that speak to our own pride to make us think that we're wiser than we are, we're smarter than we are, that we're supposed to know something or that the whole country knows or the whole world knows and we're not falling in line with that. I pray that you would protect us from those pressures and help us to hone in on your voice. That we would seek your counsel, Lord. That we would follow your word. That as we read 
your word, as we pray, as we worship, as we fellowship, that all these other avenues that combat those other voices, that we would hold true to those things. I pray that you would give us discernment in that. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for this example of Ahithophel and the ways that we should not go with Absalom. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have communion together, so if you don't have communion elements, just hold up your hand and we'll get that to you. I need to remind you that uh, this is for believers, so if you believe Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, we invite you to partake in this. If you are not, you can choose this day whom you will serve. And we invite you to do that. Mike is in the center pew. He'll be glad to pray with you, honored to pray with you and talk with you about that. And so will Susanna on the right front pew. But this wafer symbolizing the broken body of Christ for us who reconciles us to a holy God. We take this in remembrance of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. The fruit of the vine symbolizing the body of the blood of Christ spilled for us. We take this in remembrance of Jesus. We take this in celebration of what he has done for us. In Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, thank you for these symbols of a promise made that we are forgiven, that we are cleansed. I ask God that as we do this regularly, that this is not something lost on us. I ask God that you would help us to work through the things that we struggle with in terms of uh, not forgiving a brother or sister or not extending a reconciliation, that our hearts would be softened to do those things as you have so graciously done for us. And as this weekly sacrament is a reminder of kind of where our own hearts are, I pray, God, that they continue to be worked on so that we are not that far from you. In your name, amen. Mm -hmm.